Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jim Jansen. I'm the Director of Pastoral Services here for the Archdiocese of Omaha. This is the EquipCast. We're on all the major platforms, Google, Apple, Stitcher, just search for EquipCast, all one word, and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you would like to uh, subscribe to the blog, check out the show notes and everything, go to equip.archomaha.org. With me, my co-host today, we have Ms. Jennifer Mosier. Jen? Hello. So we have a fantastic episode for you today. With us in studio, a very loosely applied term, studio, we have Mr. Jeff Cavins. Jeff, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Good to be with you again. Good to see you. Okay, so your new book, The Activated Disciple. We want to zoom in on the uh, coffee talk chapter. It's not really what it's (laughs) titled, but you give this wonderfully unforgettable, maybe even haunting metaphor for how can we as disciples remember our role to share the good news. You kind of lean into that Greek word kerygma, right, which means proclamation and kind of became shorthand for the good news that we share. I want to set you up. Remind us again about the metaphor for those who haven't read the book yet. And then talk to us a little bit about how do we begin to bring a sharing of the good news into our day as part of our ritual in our lives. Well, yeah, no, good question. Yeah, the activated disciple is what I hope to remain as, as an activated disciple rather than just a fan of Jesus. You know, when I, I started the show Life on the Rock years ago on EWTN, Mother Angelica pretty much gave me free roaming room to develop that show and what it was going to look like and the type of show that I was going to have. And and at the time, which I think is true today, coffee shops were the places where people came together. And you could see people doing homework or chatting or a group of ladies coming together, high school buddies. And so chatting over coffee has become something warm. You know, it's kind of mm-hmm. like a nice cup of tea on a cold day by the fireplace for eating a book. So when people come together, they begin to to chat. Well, I have really become a huge fan of this idea of sharing Christ with other people. And I truly believe that I can share Christ with anyone, anywhere, anytime. And I mean that. It almost would be a fun game show, wouldn't it? You know, okay, see that guy walking across the bridge? You got 10 minutes. Yeah. But I, but I, I think we <laughs> You're could. You're imagining it with a GoPro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the GoPro, yeah. But I think I can do that, and I think anybody can do that. And what we share with people is called the kerygma. Now, the kerygma is simply the proclamation of the gospel. It is the good news of the gospel. And that's what we have been given, to go out into the whole world and proclaim the kingdom, proclaim the good news. And this word kerygma, you know, we're a church with so much meta-language. It's amazing that we can even weed through it all. You know, we have so many words in Latin and Greek that, that it's like dugout talk in baseball. We understand, <laughs> but the world doesn't understand what yeah. we're talking about. Even my Protestant brothers and sisters, I can mention the Holy Father, they think I'm talking about God. They have no idea wow, I'm talking yeah. about the Pope, you know? So this word kerygma can really get in the way, and it's the proclamation. And a lot of people don't think that they'll ever remember that word. But I give them a clever little thing. And I know it's corny, and I know you'll laugh, and you'll think, oh, that cadence is corny. 
to Scott Hahn said to me one time, he said, you're the corniest guy with your jokes, but somehow you get by with it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, well, look at his chapter titles. He gets by with it, too. Yeah, oh, my gosh. Uh, so... The word kerygma, just think of this. How many of us have had a cup of coffee with a Keurig machine? Well, everybody knows what a Keurig machine is, the K-cup. You can get almost any drink you want now with a, with a Keurig machine. So I think, okay, say Keurig. People say Keurig. And then think about your mother, the queen of evangelization, Mary, Ma. Now, I don't run around calling her Ma, but you understand why I'm using it. So put them together, Keurig, Ma. There. That's it. It's Keurig Ma. So now the challenge is to go and brew up a cup of good news for the people that you meet. See, I can tell by the look on both your well, faces. Yeah, you I know do. it's corny. I'm like, oh, I'm like, like, wow, we can all speak Greek now. That's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Kerygma, that is the proclamation of the gospel. And I have become uh, very aware over the last number of years that just how many people, number one, don't know what the good news is. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not talking about people who don't go to church. I'm talking about people that aren't even uh, flower children, you know, that come on Easter and Christmas. I'm talking about, I'm talking about good Catholics who go to conferences. Professional Catholics. Professional Catholics. Who get paid by the church Catholics. That teach. Yeah, there's people, they simply don't know what the proclamation of the gospel is. Now, think about that for a minute. This is, this is quite odd, is that the very thing that we are to proclaim Many of us can't even repeat it and what it is. And that's where we get to what we talked about in an earlier podcast on topical Christians versus relational Christians. If we're topical, we're not going to get around to the proclamation. The proclamation is very relational. It's about what Jesus Christ has done for you. And so there's basically seven points to this uh, kerygma, the the kerygmatic message, the, the proclamation. And you can see eight different examples of it in the book of Acts. Mm. And so this is not something that's Catholic or Protestant. It is the message from the Word of God. And this is what we are called to do, is to go out into the world and proclaim the good news. And so there are seven major points. I typically will mix them up into the regular conversation with people that I meet, whether it be a relative or a colleague or a total stranger. Wait, you mix them up? I don't, I don't think you mean you get mixed up. What do you mean by mix them up? <laughs> well, mix them up meaning, yeah, that's a good question. What I mean by that is that, uh, and we'll go through this in a moment, what are the basic steps, one, two, three, four, of the proclamation of the gospel? I take those, and they now have become a part of me in my conversation. I mix it up into my conversation with people, and I listen intently to what they're saying, that if I have an opportunity to mention something to them, it becomes a regular conversation so rather than contrived. personalized to the individual you're totally. with. Totally. It's totally. And sometimes it, it just slides in there in the conversation, you know, and particularly the first four points are, can be brought into almost any conversation. You know, just, I just want to highlight <laughs> that. I think a number of I think a number of people are probably relieved by that. I find that really helpful because oftentimes faithful Catholics who know that we're supposed to share the gospel, the only people we've ever seen share the gospel are evangelical Protestants Mm -hmm. who sometimes kind of do it in a rigid formulaic fashion. Right, Roman road. Right, and I think our understandable allergy to repeating something so personal that something that's so relational in a rigid formulaic fashion sometimes keeps us from sharing the gospel at all. And right off the bat, you're like, yeah, I listened to the person. I've internalized the gospel. 
and I share it in a way that fits that person. Mm -hmm. And you're not tied to a step one, step two, step three, step four. So, I mean, that alone, I think, is beautiful. We may be getting ahead of ourselves. Well, you're treating people with dignity, and you're listening to them as a human being who deserves to be listened to. You're not going in there with a, a, a already a prescript of, I'm going to get these points out in this conversation, whether it's the last thing I do. You know, but you're listening yeah. to them, and there are times where I don't bring up anything. Yeah, I, I just listen. I think the irony is some individuals who are perhaps most suited to fruitfully sharing the gospel keep themselves from doing it because they've imagined it to be this kind of relationally violent act yes. where, where they are. I mean, you're, I'm down in your territory. Then, yeah, they're, they're going to put down an agenda. And the irony is in my work, coaching people into the habits of being a fruitful disciple, one of the things it's like, well... If you're, if you're thinking about, gosh, I don't want to damage this relationship and I want to be true exactly. to the Lord, but I don't, it's like, okay, then you're probably going to be fine. It's the people who it never can, never even crosses their mind that somebody else may not be responding well to what they're saying. They're the ones that are in trouble. Mm -hmm. But if you're actually worried about preserving your friendship, you're probably in a pretty good spot. If I mention Jesus to this guy, especially the word repent, he'll never hire me. And I might want to get a job from him later, you know? Yeah, it's always that talk, that self-talk of this is going to damage the relationship. And so it, what I have found, to be honest with you, is that I don't think I've ever damaged a relationship. I think it's always been a good thing in the way that I can talk to people about the good news of Jesus Christ. And at worst, in worst situation, they just kind of say, ah, it's not for me. That's about the worst. I've never uh, experienced a violent kickback, you know, on sharing the good news with people. But uh, I'll, I'll share with you the very, the, here's the basic. This is the basic yeah, taken yeah, from please. taken. Uh, number one, and I'm going to share this with you, and I'm going to predict what you're going to think when I say this. I'm, I'm gifted at this. I can predict. <laughs> I'm a mind reader in a sense. And you're going to be thinking as I share it, there is no way I'm going to do that. I'm not bringing that into a conversation. I'm sorry. You know, I'm just going to be a witness by letting them hopefully see my actions. And if they see my actions, then hopefully they'll repent and give their lives to God somehow. Yeah, right. When was the last time that happened, right? right. So we're all called to share the gospel. It has nothing to do with giftedness at all. It has to do with passion, and it has to do with relationship. I, I was blessed to be in Omaha in sharing with many of the teachers, and I used the example. This is before I share with you the points of the kerygma, but using the example that I, I ended up with six uh, Paul McCartney tickets live at Target Field about four years ago, five years ago. And I mean, it was exciting. And I went there and, and I got six tickets, 11th row, I think it was. And it was, it was incredible. Well, the next day, I say to my brother-in-law, Mark, are you not going to believe it? We were in the 11th row, Paul McCartney last night. And he says, well, why didn't you tell me? And I said, well, Mark, frankly, that's not my gift. <laughs> I didn't want to impose. I did, yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, I like Paul McCartney. I but. value our relationship. <laughs> so you see what I mean is that it sounds funny to, to say that. You know, why didn't you tell me the best thing in the world? Okay, so the proclamation of the gospel, number one, is God loves you and has an amazing plan for your life. Okay, we'll get back to these, but that's it. That's it. We're not going to dress it up. We're not going to take anything away. God loves you. He has an amazing plan for your life. Number two, sin has has wrecked this. It's sin has made a mess out of this in our lives, personal marriages, all of it, addictions. 
it's made a mess out of our lives. Number three is that Jesus Christ has died for you. He loves you so much, he died for your sin. Number four, he wants you to respond to that love by radically reorienting your life to him. Now, the word is repentance, but I know how that sounds, right? You know, you're going to tell your buddy at work you need to repent. Yeah. But the catechism uses the word radically reorient your life. That's what repentance means in the catechism. So I use that. And so those are the first four. Then it goes on to be baptized, receive the Holy Spirit, and join the church, and then you make disciples. So those first four are, that is the basic proclamation of the gospel. Now what I do is I take those and I have them burned into me. I can approach those from so many different angles that God loves you and he has an amazing plan for your life. And I can bring that into any conversation. And we as disciples are situationally aware we're aware of our, ba- our surroundings. I'm aware of your eye motions. I'm aware of everything, I'm aware of your, your body posture. It all says something. And if I say, so, Jim, how are you guys doing lately? And you go, well, could, yeah, pretty good. Well, I'm not an idiot. This may be before the show. Just <laughs> I'm not an idiot. I know what that means. And so I say, mm-hmm. you're not convincing. What's going on? You'd be surprised how many people will tell you. You'd just be surprised. They'll start talking to you. And I'm thinking at this point, if there's a way for me to tell Jim that God loves him and has an amazing plan for his life, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it. So I can weave it into any conversation, and I don't have to depart from being me. I don't have to be somebody else. I don't have to be an actor, you know, and tap you on the shoulders at at, uh, Starbucks and say, excuse me, but did you know that God loves you and has a plan for your life, you know? Mm Sin's probably screwed your life up, right? You know, I don't have to look at a sheet of paper and say that to you. I, I can go with the flow and, and go into a conversation, and I know what the points are in the kerygma. But here's what people think right when I tell them that. The first thing they think is, there's no way. I'm not, I am not bringing these, these things up to anybody. That's not my, like you said, it's not my space. It's not my right. They didn't ask me. The proclamation of the gospel is about going into a hurting world and telling them the truth about life. And I gave this whole talk up in Mississauga, up in Canada, last year on our motorcycle trip. And uh, I understand you got a big motorcycler here in Omaha, Father Jeff. <laughs> we do, yeah. Jen is doing her best Father Jeff impersonation right now as a co-host, because he's usually the co-host. <laughs> well, we went on this big motorcycle trip, and we went up there, and I spoke about how to brew up a cup of kerygma. And so I was up there, and these two guys come up after the conversation, two young guys, 22, 24, they were converts. And they came up and said, oh, Mr. Cavins, love the talk. It was really, really cool. I just love it. And we have a question for you. And I said, yeah. And they said, well, I don't know if that, you know, that kind of language is going to, like, really fly in our culture, you know. And I'm just not sure that I could say to someone, God loves you and has a plan for your life. And Is there another way to put it? And I looked at them for about, I looked like I was thinking for about (laughs) 10 seconds or so. And I thought about it and I said, hmm, no. And they said, what? I said, no. I don't know of a better way to put that. And I said, it's the truth. Now, the reason that people don't want to share it is because they think that it's going to bring up conversations that they can't answer. 
questions they don't it's out of their ballpark it's out of their wheelhouse they're going to ask me questions about the scandal they're going to ask me questions about where's mary in the bible they're going to ask questions about purgatory and i'm just not handling that you know i don't i don't know all that stuff and i'm just not going to get into it and so they don't bring up anything and people all the time ask me about this scandal or other things and that's i get it but that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about with the good news of Jesus Christ. We may talk about that, but I know that's not your problem. And I know that if I answer all of your questions, it's not going to move the dial because that's not the problem here. And so the problem is your relationship with the Lord. And so I said to these young men, I said, let's do this. Let's go through those points again. And I'm going to give you the first point, And then I'm going to give you five minutes to come up with something better. Okay, let's do it. So I said, God loves you and has an amazing plan for your life. You got five minutes. And I looked away, and they're like, I don't think we can improve on that. I said, okay, let's go to the second one. Sin has royally screwed up our lives. Come up with something better. Mm -hmm. They said, I don't know. Jesus Christ loves you and died for you. Go ahead, I'll give you 10 on that one. Think about that. And you got it. They got it pretty quick. They're like, I don't think we can. I said, that's the point. This is the truth. We're afraid of the truth. We're afraid. We want to package it. We want to pretty it up. We want to make Jesus cool. Because after all, we're cool. And if we're cool, maybe people will accept God if we're cool. Right? I mean, that's the form of evangelization. Look at me. I'm cool. You know? Stop. You're starting to make me uncomfortable. (laughs) And so I said, you see, the power is in the message. And then here's the kicker. It says in in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit confirmed the message. And so if God can find people to give the message, the Holy Spirit can confirm this in the hearts of the people we're talking to. That means that it's the Holy Spirit who does heart surgery, not me. Mm -hmm. I can't do that. It's above my pay grade. Yeah, I have to. I mean, that's so fantastic. The short testimony is that's very much a microcosm you've just summarized so much of my, I would say, a second conversion as a missionary, where I loved the part of being a missionary that was just making friends, playing basketball and developing a relationship. And I loved the the more catechetical moments where I was able to teach someone about the faith or teach them how to pray the rosary. Eh, but the talking about Jesus part, that made me uncomfortable. Because, mm-hmm. right, it, wasn't, it, it didn't fit with, with the culture. And I was just very blessed through some intellectual study to be able to hear that that was exactly what the church was calling us to. And in particular, I I remember John Paul II referring to this proclamation of the kerygma as the hinge on which all evangelization turns. Mm -hmm. And here I was loving the lead up and loving the follow through but I was unwilling to commit myself to the hinge. And I was just mm-hmm. blessed to have an intellectual kind of realization and, frankly, to have a lot—I'm kind of a competitive guy. I just had a lot of missionary friends who had way better stories than I did because <laughs> they were willing to share yeah. the gospel, and the Lord would confirm it. Yeah. They would be in relationship, and in those conversations, they would share the gospel, and the Lord would move and he used my jealousy of their fruit and their stories to get me to actually begin to do it as a missionary. And when mm-hmm. I did, everything changed. It does. It, you, you hit on something there, Jim, that is so important for all of our, our listeners to understand, and that is that it is the doing of the gospel that changes you, too. It doesn't just change the world. It changes you. 
and you become the conduit of the good news to people's life, and you lose the fear of men. There's nothing quite as imprisoning than the fear of man and what they're going to think of you or do. But justice, which is something that we're all talking about in the news right now, you know, and social movements and justice, justice is when we give someone what is due them, and people deserve to hear the truth. And, and I mean, my yeah, word. Paul VI almost uses those exact words, that it, it's actually a crime and a sin for us to withhold the gospel. Yeah. Dr. Phil will look you right in the eye and say, you need to stop doing that. Where does he get off doing that? Who gave him the license to order everybody around? And we actually sit there for an hour and watch it. Yet, I can't tell you the best news in the world, and that is that God loves you. And that, yes, sin screws up our marriages and it screws up our relationship with our children. Sin brings us to addiction, which you do things that you never thought you would do. And as I'm sharing this with people, they'll still do this head shake of sort of like, "Uh uh-huh. And I can tell you stories after story of of people that I talked to that started off in a discussion with me, total strangers, and when they heard I was Catholic, laid into me and told me how bad my church was. And in 24 hours, were coming to church with me. And I didn't answer any of their violent attacks. You know, there might be a day to talk about it, but it wasn't what was going to move the dial. What was going to move the dial was that person was broken and lonely and addicted, and they were searching for love. And I have that message for you. I can tell you how life works, and I can tell you with authority, enthusiasm, God loves you and has a plan for your life. Now, the Holy Spirit, the minute the Holy Spirit sees that, says, I can confirm that. And all of a sudden, the person is responding in ways that they never thought they would respond. I mean, Billy Graham did nothing other than the charisma for all of his years, 70 years. That's a pretty good career, too. It's over 2 million people came to the Lord, and all he did was he stood up there, and here's what he said. And he went right down the charisma. He said, God loves you, and God has a plan for your life. And then he would go into, but I'm telling you, sin has broken lives, shattered families. But the good news is Jesus Christ has come to die for you, and you and you and you. And all he's asking for you to do today is to repent. Turn your life around. And I'm going to ask you to pray in just a moment. And he does it, and 5,000 people come bawling, tears. For our younger listeners, just just do some some, some YouTube searches. <laughs> Google it. That was an amazing impersonation of Millie Graham. <laughs> you just took me back to my childhood, seriously. Yes. Yeah. And all, all he did, what, what did Billy Graham do? Billy Graham told you the truth, and the Holy Spirit confirmed it. There, was, there wasn't even denominational discussion here. This was the truth. And I'll tell you, if Catholics would learn to share in love and sincerity the good news with people in a r- normal way— you are going to see results, and we're going to double the church in five years. Yeah, you know, Jeff, what, as you're talking, what comes to mind is I think there's such a fear of coming across as judgmental. Yeah. You know, we don't want to offend anybody. And so this idea of like, gosh, you're telling me I have to to tell people that their lives are screwed up, <laughs> that I have to point out the faults in their life. I think that that's the fear. Yeah. And what you're saying and what I'm hearing is, If we actually tap into what the pain point is for people, the real brokenness that they're experiencing, and give them hope. Yes, and it's common to all of us. 
I'm not sitting here on a pedestal saying, well, maybe someday you'll be like me. We're all broken uh, because of sin, and we are all in deep need of healing and restoration, and this is what God offers us, and that requires a certain level of, of humility. Now, here's the beautiful aspect to the kerygma. Monsignor Pope wrote a, an amazing article on this once about the kerygma, and he said that, that typically the kerygma always was, uh, followed a miracle, a happening and everyone's like, oh my gosh, look at that guy's blind. He was blind. You can see. Then comes the message. This is, let me explain to you people what has happened here. And he asked the question in the article, is it necessary today for there to be a miracle preceding the proclamation of the good news, the, the kerygma? And his answer is yes. And the miracle is you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking, actually, the testimony mm-hmm. aspect. No of one can how, take it from you. Yeah, how has the Lord moved in my heart and that's the best way so often to actually share the kerygma. And these points that you're, you're pointing out is, how has this looked in my life? If I've adequately reflected on how has the Lord brought me into relationship with him? Yeah. How has he saved me? And I share that naturally with someone else. Yeah. It's convicting. It's very convicting, and it's very attractive. And one of the things that people, they discount themselves right away because they think, well, I don't have a testimony. Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't a drug addict. I didn't leave the church and come back. I, you know, I didn't go into Buddhism and then come back or anything. Well, I don't have a story to tell. And what I would say to them is I'd say, you know, Jen, like in your life, my gosh, you're living what they're looking for. They're looking for you, and you just, you have it, and they want your life. They want the wholeness. You know, they're not going to say, well, who are you to talk to a broken person like me? I enjoy my brokenness. Well, I mean, this is the insulation, right, of that fear that, oh, I'm afraid. When we're in touch with our own brokenness and with the Lord's undeserved love, that attitude is, I mean, at the very least, it's not offensive. Right? When we have a real humility before the Lord, and when gratitude and love and an awareness of our weakness and this miracle that has happened in our life, when that's top of mind rather than judgment, at the very worst, someone's like, okay, well, that sounds cool for you. Good luck with that. But I mean, mm-hmm. it's, you can't, that's not offensive. I think what people get offended by is the the judgment the self-righteousness that sadly mm-hmm. sometimes creeps into our lives yeah and that's not a part of our message you know that god is the judge i'm not here to to pry into that or anything and i mean you're the one that mentioned you're going to leave your wife not me you know not you jim i mean hypothetically yeah. here but they're the ones that told me that you know that their life is broken you know i've had i've had many discussions with people even in a neighborhood where somebody said i'm i'm leaving where my wife and i are splitting up and and I'm able to talk to him at that point and to say, that's sad. And, you know, we've been neighbors down five houses away for, I don't know, 15 years. And I, I feel like I have failed to tell you the best thing in my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I want to tell you, Frank, my wife and I, we've had our ups and downs like any marriage does. But when I found out that God loved me and that he had actually a plan for my life, which involved my wife and my children, it really made a difference in my life. And I I, more than anyone, know that sin can mess up a marriage. I know that. And I'm also aware that, and this is my message to you, that Jesus loves you, Frank, so much. Now, this is straightforward talking. This isn't cute, and this isn't making Jesus cool. This is the truth. And to say to him, Frank, if you can completely uh, reorient your life, 
to God. I'll be with you. I'll walk with you in it. God can turn this around. Mm-hmm. Now, a broken man listening to that, and he knows about my wife, this is attractive. This is not something he's going to hit yeah. me. He's going to say, ah. Well, and it's attractive because you're finishing the story. Everybody at some point in their life experiences the pain and the brokenness of sin. Mm-hmm. But what they don't know is that they're loved beyond that, and there's actually a solution. There's a solution. And I'll be with you. Yeah. Jeff, just as we kind of like close here, what are the first steps that you would recommend? Kind of those baby steps for those who are feeling convicted by mm-hmm. this. They're like, oh, crap, I need to start doing this. And they don't quite know where to get started. Like, what right. would you recommend? What are the first steps? I think the first step is to pray and to ask God to open your heart up to love and uh, open your heart up to justice and mercy and kindness mm-hmm. and open your heart up to sharing the most important thing in your life with other people. Admit to the Lord, I'm scared, I'm nervous, I don't know exactly what to do. So bring it to the Lord. Second of all, memorize these eight points. Make a game out of finding ways of sharing this with people. And I'm telling you the truth, it only takes two or three times before you're over that hurdle and you're used to say, first, you can't believe this is coming out of your mouth. You know, it's like, did I just say that to Gary down the street? I can't believe I just said that. Yeah, you did. And it takes two or three times. You start to get over that and you can make a game out of learning to speak to people. Like I will look at people all the time, whether coming out of a restaurant or going into a Minnesota Twins game or whatever it might be. And I rehearse in my head how I could open up a conversation. One of your colleagues, Vicki, and I went out to lunch, and we both uh, love our faith. And we were talking about this, and uh, we were walking out of the restaurant, and there was a a young lady walking toward her car. And I said, "I, I could talk to her anytime. I could talk to her anytime. I could talk to a guy anytime. And I said, well, look at the car. There's no tags on it. It's a new dealer's tag. Just, someone just drove this off the lot. It's a Subaru. I have a Subaru. This would be an easy conversation to start. So I got in the car. She was in the car next to us. And I was talking to Vicki about it. And all of a sudden, that lady rolled her window down out of nowhere. I'm a disciple. Situational awareness. I rolled my window down. And I said, I like your car. She said, oh, thanks, I love it. And I said, Subaru, I love Subaru. I said, what made you decide to get a Subaru? Because I got three of them. I got two in the house, and our, one of our kids has one. She goes, oh, I got inside of it, and I knew I just, I, got, I can't get out of this. I just, I have always wanted one. In it. And I said to her, well, God bless you. You have a, a really good day. And I, I got news, you can get out of hell. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> uh, it felt like heaven. I can tell you how to get to heaven. <laughs> but, I, but that was an example of, you know, you can even pinpoint it. How would I talk to that person? And look around you. Oh, same car I have. How do you like yours? Oh, I love it. We love ours too. And I drive it to work every day. Really? How many miles is that? Well, it's about 40 a day. 40? Where do you work? I work at the Ford plant. My brother works at the Ford plant. This is just life. This is just conversation, you know? And I think making making almost a game out of it in rehearsing, like if you're a hockey goaltender, like I used to be, at least tried, you're always kind of in your mind imagining shots and saves. And and as a disciple of the Lord, imagine how could I open up a conversation with the waitress? Yeah, it seems like when we show up, the Lord opens up the conversation. Isn't that something? And people probably ask you and Jen, uh, why do so many things happen to you guys? And the answer is, step out of the boat. Yeah. You sit in the boat your whole life, you don't have a lot of stories, except what you saw. Jeff, thank you. This has been fantastic. 
Thank you for your work and, and your ministry. I know, I mean, myself and so many others, the Bible Timeline, your teaching on Lexio, and now Activated Disciple. Like, really, your work in ministry has been such a gift to so no, many. Thank you. So thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your time with the Archdiocese, with our, our teachers and our catechists this past week. Yeah, Godspeed and God bless on the next part of your journey here. And thank all of you for listening. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, join in. Go to equip.archomaha.org. We'd love to get your comments and questions. Check us out there for blogs and show notes and subscribe so you don't miss a thing. Thanks, everybody.